Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange or Brown Talk podcast. It's the Hey Mary Kay edition and we've got all kinds of great questions to get into. First about Baker Mayfield and how the Browns will approach next season with Baker Mayfield at quarterback. Then we get into Kevin Stefanski and the play calling. We talk about the rookie class and we talk about John Johnson's comments about the medical staff and maybe bringing in a yoga instructor, all of that stuff from exit interview day. Uh, in Berea, which took place on Monday. Now, if you're not a Football Insider subscriber, you are missing out because you get a newsletter delivered to your inbox every single day that's written by uh, Mary Kay or Ashley or Scott or me. It, it's every day coming to your inbox, unique content that isn't anyplace else on the site. You get that in your email. You also get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and you can become one of our text subscribers where we text you news, analysis, and more throughout the day each day. All you need to do is go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. All right, let's get to it. The Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, we're going to dive right in with a question about Baker Mayfield from Paul Spencer in New York City. Hey Mary Kay. I have a hard time imagining the Browns would run things back with Baker the way they were before. On the other hand, I have an even harder time imagining Baker being okay with having another quarterback that could give him real competition. So how do you think things are going to play out? You know what, Paul, that is a fabulous question. And I think we're all trying to figure that out right now because it is hard to imagine that the Browns want to run it back just like this and go through this type of season all over again, potentially. And when we talked to, we're taping this on Monday, when we talked to Kevin Stefanski on the zoom today, I was trying to like get out of him. So if it's not all the shoulder, like the players made it seem like it was today because they're backing their quarterback. If it's not, you know, if Baker's crummy season wasn't 70% shoulder, What makes you think it's going to be any better? And he did say that he believes it's the entire offense that needs to get better. And I do agree with that. I think that if you do upgrade the receiving core and if you have some healthier tackles and then Kevin will be able to call the game differently and Baker is a little healthier. I think if you add that all up, if you get Kareem Hunt back, uh, I think there are plenty of reasons to believe that it could be better, Uh, but you're, you're still taking a chance in hoping that uh, your quarterback's issues this season, which including included processing issues, not always going to the right place with the football, hanging onto the ball too long at times. Uh, you know, you've got to hope that all of that gets better. So, and I, and I think this really speaks to to what Paul's getting at is like you you can go you can come back with Baker as your starter, but all those things you mentioned, like you can't you can't just bring Baker back and cross your fingers that it was all the shoulder and scheme and it wasn't him just playing poorly. There's gotta be a plan B. And I do wonder how does Baker respond if there's like like case Keenum is not a plan B case Keenum was a veteran backup, but if there's a real guy in the building who they could turn to and say, okay, you're the starter and you could legitimately take Baker's job. I mean, how does he respond to that? You know, that, that's, uh, that's a terrific question because that is why, uh, you know, that's why I wrote that he, and I completely stand by it, that he needed to work out his issues with Kevin Stefanski. We all know that they were there. Uh, this was not our, this was not 
my imagination. Some of those things came out of Baker's own mouth after football games, right? I mean, we could see the frustration. We could see him calling out Kevin Stefanski at times, which is not a normal thing to do. In every exit interview that we see from quarterbacks or after every football game uh, where a player loses, uh, you know, in the next few weeks, watch and see if the quarterback uh, rips the coach for a play calling issue. Let's, let's see how many times we see that this season. I doubt you'll see very much of it. Um, so those, those issues were there. And I think that if, if they did make some kind of a move that sort of indicated that there was another starter in the house, I think there would be a little bit of a showdown. I think there would be, Hey, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe this is something that we need our, put, to put our heads together and see if this is the right situation or for Baker to still be in. Um, I mean, if it's, if it's an obvious starter, then, uh, you know, then I think he would, his camp, his very strong camp would consider saying, Hey, maybe there's a, a, a better situation for Baker. If it is a, not an obvious starter, say like a Mitch Trubisky or somebody like that, that could come in and you would think be a backup. Uh, you know, I still, I still think it raises questions about, you know, how they feel about Baker and where this is all going to go throughout the season. Having said all of that, I think they owe it to themselves and they owe it to uh, their team. They owe it to the fans to absolutely look into any really good quarterback that becomes available. I mean, they, they just have to. You can't say that you're, uh, that you're, you're going to be willing to upgrade every single position on the team and then not look at the, some of the quarterbacks that come available when your quarterback finished 27th in the NFL in rating this year. Yeah. And I like it, there's levels to this, right? Like you mentioned Mitch Trubisky, right? You're not, you're not going to bring in a Mitch Trubisky and then trade Baker Mayfield. You know, that's not like a clear upgrade, but if you go and trade for Kirk cousins or whatever, if Minnesota cuts Kirk cousins, they of course fired Mike Zimmer and, uh, and Rick Spielman today. So maybe Kirk cousins suddenly becomes available. And I know Kirk cousins maybe doesn't always pass the eyeball test, but yeah, I, I would encourage all of our listeners with every quarterback that gets mentioned between now and whenever this resolves to go to pro football reference and compare statistics. And there are very few where Baker's going to be even close, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go get Kirk Cousins, you're not going to bring in Kirk Cousins to compete. You're going to bring him in to start. So I, I you know, I just think there's levels to, to all of this. There are levels to all of this, Dan. And I think that uh, one of the reasons why uh, the Browns. And again, we will be hearing more from Andrew Barry on Tuesday morning, and we will try to get him to answer some of these questions. But, uh, you know, I think that one of the reasons why they are saying they're proceeding with Baker Mayfield as, as their quarterback to start the season is because that's how you have to talk at the end of the season. I mean, you can't send him forth to go have his surgery and rehab thinking, oh, I'm not there. I'm not their starter. I mean, you can't, you can't do that. You have to start out with the premise that he is your guy. And if something else comes along better than so be it. I mean, that's just how it is. And with all of these coaches getting fired today, as you mentioned, Kirk Cousins could become available. Why does that come to mind? Because he played for Kevin Stefanski, obviously, and they have a great relationship. Um, And if Kevin Stefanski thinks that's an upgrade and they can get their hands on him, then that's something you would have to explore. There are other quarterbacks that could possibly become available that, you might not think are available right now. I mean, Derek Carr just is, you know, just made the playoffs last night. I mean, uh, you know, everything, single thing that the Raiders went through and somehow he got those guys into the playoffs, that's remarkable. Because if you want to talk about somebody that had excuses this year, Derek Carr had excuses, right? right? Coach gets fired. Number one receiver has a tragic DUI and has to get cut. Darren Waller down the stretch misses a bunch of games. Your best offensive player. Uh, it was, you know, two or three other very controversial things happened. And somehow, some way, he got that team into the playoffs. And that's what you need to do. You need to come back and you need to pull out football games. And uh, and if the Browns find a quarterback like that, they have they owe it to themselves to at least kick the tires on those kind of guys. But who knows if Derek Carr is still going to be uh, with the Los Angeles Raiders? I mean, 
every, you know, if, if that team decides that it wants to completely rebuild, you know, who knows, Derek Carr could, could think about, or, you know, the people involved with the team could consider whether or not uh, he's enough of an asset that he might be able to, you know, get some, you know, fetch some good compensation for them in, in a possible rebuild. So uh, anything can still happen. I don't think anything's written in stone. Yeah. I mean, look, unless Aaron Rodgers is like, Hey, I want to live in Las Vegas because that's closer to California. The Raiders would be crazy to move on from Derek Carr. Yeah, they would. They absolutely would be. There's no question about it. So, but, but if, you know, stranger things have happened and, um, and I think, you know, I mean, he is just, he is one that you would put on that list of, wow, who knew that you would have a chance at a guy like that. Okay, let's move to another part of the offense, and you touched on it a little bit in, in answering that first question, but Ston, uh, John Stoner from York, Pennsylvania asks, Hey, Mary Kay, I still wonder about Coach Stefanski's offensive scheme. With the exception of the Kansas City game and the first Cincinnati game, the offense never really got going. How much do you think the scheme will change, assuming Baker is still the quarterback? You know, it almost seemed like a, a better game plan with Case Keenum at quarterback yesterday on Sunday, didn't it? I mean, it almost seemed like they tried some different things. And I mean, maybe you can do that when you're playing the Bengals B team, you can, you know, have a little bit, bit of fun and uh, try, try some different things. But um, I think that it will be a much better game plan scheme and play calling next year when you have better receivers and you can call deep passes with some conviction. And when you do feel like your quarterback is a little bit healthier, again, I think out of anybody, Kevin Stefanski uh, puts the, the, how do we want to say this? While the rest of the world, and I told you guys this in a text, they sometimes acts like Baker had a bloody stump over there on the left side <laughs> this season. I think Kevin Stefanski puts it in the proper perspective. Yeah, he had a clunky harness on. He had to adjust to it. He got better. That wasn't the reason our season tanked. Uh, but I think he will be able to call better plays when Baker doesn't have the harness on and Baker feels a little bit more accurate. And, uh, and when you hopefully have a couple of healthier tackles and you get him a little better protected. Yeah, I, I mean, it's interesting when you when you talk about the offense looking better yesterday, right? Maybe it was because Cincinnati had a bunch of guys out, like Trey Hendrickson wasn't out there, for example. There were just a bunch of guys that didn't play in that game. Um, also, maybe the ball was coming out when it was supposed to and going where it was supposed to. I, I guess that's, you know, that's part of it. But I do think it's, you know, for as much as I've defended Kevin this year, and I do think a lot of it comes down to the quarterback maybe not running the offense the way he, he wants it to be run. I do think like this team had an identity crisis this year mm -hmm. and there were times where it's like, it, it's okay to just lean on Nick Chubb and it's okay to just lean on Kareem Hunt a little bit. And obviously I didn't have Kareem Hunt for most of the year, but like, it's okay to sort of be that team. You don't have to necessarily make Baker go out and win you every single game. I, I just felt like there wasn't, I don't know what this team's identity was. And, and I felt like they might've lost it a little bit. Yeah. And you know what? I don't usually have a problem with a team having being very multiple and having multiple looks, but it did seem like they were off. Um, they were off in terms of when it was time to just completely heavily rely on Nick Chubb and when it was time to heavily rely on you know, the short passing game and not try to go deep to Donovan. You know what I mean? It just seemed like they were half a bubble off in a lot of situations. And again, I think some of it just came down to the fact that their quarterback was having a bad year and that they, they kind of had to do the best that they could with what they had to work with. And I don't think he got a lot of help in some games. I mean, there were games where it just seemed like guys were dropping crucial passes at, you know, you know, in the red zone, in the clutch. I mean, just, it, it doesn't it seem like that to you, Dan? There, there, guys just weren't coming up with the big play. Even Donovan Peoples-Jones down the stretch, it just seemed like, you know, he, he couldn't make those big plays that he was making last year. Yeah, well, and I mean, the one that stands out is the Pittsburgh game, the first, the first Pittsburgh game on Halloween when 
you know, we talk so much about Baker not leading game-winning drives, and that is a absolutely legitimate criticism. But in that game, you had Jarvis got stripped, and then he dropped a really good throw on fourth down. That would have been a first down conversion. So, yeah, it was sort of like things were bad with Baker a lot of the year, but when he when he was good, I guess it's that complimentary football thing in a way. When he was good, the guys around him kind of let him down. So they just, mm-hmm. nothing ever really seemed to work on the offensive side. I know. And even remember in the, in the chargers game, when, uh, when Odell dropped a fourth down pass in the red red zone that should have gone for a touchdown. So there were a number of things like that too, but those things happen. I mean, even when you go back to the Raiders game here, the loss to the Raiders, Derek Carr was having those issues where his guys were dropping passes for him left and right. You do have to overcome those things. And you do, as the quarterback, have to elevate the play of those around you. And I think he was so off that he had a hard time trying to make anybody better this season as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean you're right. Guy, guys deal with that all the time. I mean, jo- Joe Burrow, he's got an interception on his record because the ball landed in Jamar Chase's hands and he basically handed it to the defensive back. Okay. But like, no one talks about that because Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase have figured it out and they're one of, they're developing into the, one of the best quarterback receiver duos in the league. So yeah, the drops happen, fumbles happen, interceptions happen. Like those things happen. You have to be able to overcome them. Yes. He wasn't, they weren't really able to do that. Well, when you think about it, um, how many touchdown passes did Baker finish with? Was it, uh, was it? I nine? looked it up today. I gotta, I gotta look it up again. Um, it was not a, not 90. a high number. Oh, I, I think I might, might have my stats. Is it 17? Right. I think it's 17. It's, yes, it was 17. Yeah. 17 touchdown passes for Baker Mayfield. Now remember at the beginning of the season, people like analysts like Dan Arlovsky were estimating that he would have 37 touchdown passes this year. And I think we all thought that that was going to happen. And, you know, the big question mark that none of us really know the answer to, and it's impossible to know the answer to it until next year is just how much that injury impacted him. I think it was part of it, but I think that there were other significant uh, factors, including that defenses dug into that film and, and a lot of them figured out how to play Baker Mayfield. Mike, you don't think Mike Tomlin and his defensive staff didn't dig into the tape and decide that they were going to keep Baker Mayfield in the pocket, read his eyes and also get their hands up and bat down passes. And, you know, they exposed a weakness in that game. I mean, that tape is out there now five batted passes uh, in, in that football game. So, um, you know, so this is something that, that they're going to have to try to solve because if teams are going to do that to him and take away those keepers, the rollouts, the bootlegs that he excelled at last year, if they're going to do that and they will, uh, then they have to make sure that he can function really well from within the pocket. And he's got to have help, whether it's, uh, you know, tight end screens or whatever the case may be. He's, they have to find a way to make sure uh, that when he's hemmed in, he can see what's going on and see it in a hurry and get that ball out and make a play. Yeah. And I, th- I think too, it's, I mean, again, you, you just kind of look at, I hate to keep bringing it up. You look at the numbers. He's never completed more than 63.8% of his passes. His last three years, he's been at 59, 62 and 60. He's gone over 3,800 yards once. He's never thrown 30 touchdowns. I mean, at some point, you know, I don't want to get too caught up, I guess, in traditional stats, but they do matter. Like, you know, 65%, I'm looking it up right now, 65% completion percentage is 19th in the league. We're, we're in an era where there's so many easy built-in completions that you got to be at 65% if you want to be average. And there's just too many, there's, there's a lot there that's concerning with Baker. We've turned a Kevin Stefanski play calling discussion into more talk about Baker, (laughs) but I I mean, they are intertwined. They go hand in hand, right? Some of it was the play calling. Some of it was the quarterback not executing. Well, you know what? I mean, look, uh, Joel Batonio had, I thought a pretty telling comment today when he said, regardless of what happened, we still had enough talent on this football team 
to make the playoffs and we did not execute. And on some level, I really do believe that's true because even though they did not have their deep threat after Odell left and that hurt. And when he left, it's not like they could turn to Anthony Schwartz to stretch the defense and stretch the field because he was out with a concussion and really for a lot of the season really wasn't ready yet. Um, but they still had, they still had three really good, healthy tight ends. And I've seen Bill Belichick like rely on tight ends in, in a season in recent years when he did not have receivers either. Like he didn't have receivers, but he found a way to make it work with a bunch of good tight ends. Okay. You remember that season that I'm talking about, Dan. Mm -hmm. um, so you have to make do with what you have. And I do think on some level that they still had enough with Jarvis Landry, although he was in and out, but Jarvis Landry, he was around most of the time. Rashard Higgins, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, Harrison Bryant, Nick Chubb. That's still a good enough offense to get to the playoffs if you're getting the ball into the hands of the right guy at the right time. Okay, you mentioned a couple names who came up in uh, in some of our some of our questions. So we're going to go to this first one here, and this one has to do with Austin Hooper. This comes from okay, I actually didn't write this down very well, so I don't know if this is Mike Chester in Maryland or if this is Mike in Chester, Maryland. So we're just <laughs> going to say Mike. Hey, Mary Kay, do you think the Browns would consider trading or releasing Austin Hooper and absorbing his dead money, which is approximately 11 and a quarter million dollars if they made that decision? Although the amount of dead money drops to seven and a half million in 2023, if they choose to keep him, he would prevent the Browns from acquiring a young, promising tight end. In his opinion, he thinks re-signing Njoku and acquiring a young, talented tight end is worth cutting their losses on Hooper. Well, that's a great question. I mean, if they are running it back with Baker Mayfield, there is very little chemistry between Baker Mayfield and Austin Hooper. And it's not like they have time to work on it in the offseason a lot with, a, you know, some one-on-one -on -one time together and, you know, going and working things out. Because Baker Mayfield is not going to be able to start throwing really uh, – until late April. So there's not going to be a whole lot going on uh, between obviously between now and April where he could try to figure out what's going on between him and Austin Hooper. Sometimes two guys just don't seem to have it together. Baker never had it with Odell Beckham Jr. I wonder if he's ever really going to have it with, with Austin Hooper. There's something about those two that just doesn't click or mesh, but what we don't know yet for sure is, is Baker going to be the starting quarterback? So I think you have to wait to find that out first. If, if you change out the quarterback, then I think it potentially could change your view of Austin Hooper because maybe Kirk Cousins and Austin Hooper would fare better together. Maybe Jimmy Garoppolo and Austin Hooper would be better together or Derek Carr or whoever else. Um, so I think that's one thing. But if you are, if you are 100% committed to Baker Mayfield as your quarterback in 2022, I think it would be worth exploring a trade of Austin Hooper because um, it is a lot of money and somebody else probably could get more out of him than the Browns are. And I think you could make David Njoku be your number one tight end in that scenario. And then you can get a little bit more out of Harrison Bryant and bring in another good tight end from somewhere. Right. I think just like everything else, Baker's the, the linchpin on this, right? If you're moving on from Baker, you're going to have to eat some sort of cap money on that. You know, it's obvious, he's obviously got 18.8 guaranteed. So you, you're going to have some sort of dead cap if you move on from Baker, whether you just cut him, which I doubt they would do, or if you trade him, that's probably going to cost you something. Um, if you brought in Kirk Cousins, that would be expensive. So that, that just makes it harder to eat Austin Hooper's money. But if you keep Baker, I, I get that makes it a little more palatable to just say, you know what, we'll just – take this 11 and a quarter million dollar cap hit because we're all, because we're paying our quarterback 18 million, which as a salary, isn't all that expensive. If it's dead money, it's not great. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll eat that 11 and a quarter and go a different direction. Yeah. And one of the things that can happen, as you mentioned, if something does come about in a trade uh, you know, there is a, a chance that you can trade Baker Mayfield to the team where you are acquiring 
the other quarterback. I mean, those things happen. We saw it happen last year with the Detroit Lions and the Rams. They swapped out, of course, Matt Stafford for Jared Goff. So there might be a team uh, that might be you know, willing to do a trade like that. And if they're not 100% sure that Baker can be their starter, you can work something out. You can do you know, those crafty NBA-style trades where you end up with you know, purchasing a draft pick for money and, you know, somehow it all comes out in the wash. The same thing that happened with Odell Beckham Jr. this year. Uh, they, they came up with a deal. They made an agreement so that they didn't owe him all of the guaranteed money and he got his free agency. So uh, there are things that you can do if you want to unload some of that $18.86 million guaranteed fifth-year option money that Baker's going to get. Uh, but yes, as you mentioned, Austin Hooper has a, an 11.25 dead cap number, meaning that if just, let's just say, okay, we're going to cut them, which they wouldn't do, but we're going to cut them. You have to eat that money on your cap. So that's how that works. Uh, so ideally you would want to trade them. And that's not that much money for, uh, for a really good tight end, but in this offense, it's kind of going to waste. Yeah. I, you know, I mean the, the tight ends that make that much money are, you know, you're looking at the elite guys, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned Darren Waller. I don't know what his contract is right now, but you know, when you look at the, the guys that are making the big money at tight end, it's the guys that are making a big impact, you know, in the receiving game. And some, some of them can do a little bit of everything, but it's usually guys who are making a big impact, you know, catching the football. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I mean, when the Browns signed Austin Hooper, they really thought that they were getting that sort of, not, I'm not going to say like Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller type, but one rung down from that. Okay. Not the top, not a top five tight end, but a top six through 10 tight end is what they were purchasing with that acquisition. And how many times have we seen that? I mean, it's been a great year in the NFL for tight end play, right? Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, Darren Waller when he was healthy. I mean, these guys have made some of the, the best plays in the NFL this season. Do you remember how many like amazing Austin Hooper plays do you remember this season? Not, not any. I, I mean, I can't, I can't think of one off the top of my head. You can't think of one. And he made 10 and a half. He averages 10 and a half million dollars. So, you know, what does that, you know, what does that, what does that tell you? So, you know, I think that they could, I think it, it was one of those situations where I'm not saying that Austin Hooper isn't any good anymore. And I never said that about Odell either. I thought Odell needed a change of scenery to come back to life. And in some ways, I think Austin Hooper needs a change of scenery to come back to life because I think he's a really good tight end. He's a two-time Pro Bowl tight end. I don't think he suddenly forgot how to be a good tight end. I, I don't, I, maybe they can make it work here, but you know, I, I certainly wouldn't be opposed if I were them to trying to see if they can do something. Yeah. So just, just to circle back on this, these are the tight ends with the highest average per year. These are all the guys who are, who make more money than Austin Hooper, George Kittle, obviously maybe the best all around tight end in the league, Travis Kelsey, um, the best receiving tight end in the league. Dallas Goddard just signed an extension with the Eagles. Mark Andrews, um, you know, I can think of two, two or three catches off the top of my head where he made an impact. And that offense really revolves, that passing offense really revolves around him. And then you have the Patriots who paid uh, Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry a, a lot of money. And, and maybe those guys haven't quite lived up to it, but, you know, they had, they had a clear plan at tight end. And I know Smith has been dealing with injuries, but um you know, Hunter Henry had a bit, had a good game against the Browns. I know he scored a touchdown. You know, those are really the only two questionable-ish guys, but I would still probably take both of them um, over Hooper at this money. Yeah, and you know what? In the offseason, uh, this past offseason, there were conversations between uh, Austin Hooper's camp and the Cleveland Browns, and they assured him and his people that they were going to really try to focus on him more this year and that they were going to try to get him the football and, uh, and that his role in the offense was going to grow. And we even heard Kevin Stefanski say that a few times at the beginning of the season or in, or in camp, that Austin Hooper's role was going to grow. And you certainly wanted him uh, catching more than, 
is it was it 38 passes? I think it is. Um, yeah, you, you certainly wanted more than that. His production, which was 38 and then like 345 yards and three touchdowns was about half of what he had in his final season in, in Atlanta, his second Pro Bowl season that caused the Browns to give him this very lucrative contract with ten and a half million dollars a year. So he was I would say he was one of the um, you know, one of the bigger disappointments of the season. But having said that, I am not saying that it was all his fault. I'm saying there's a there's something that that just isn't clicking there. OK, let's take a break. And when we come back, we've got a question about this year's rookie class. And we are back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Hey, Mary Kay edition. Tony in Los Angeles, who says he's originally from the 419 area code. I actually don't know where the 419 area code is. Do you, do you happen to know? I, think, I need to Google this. Toledo? Let's find out here. It's got to be in Ohio. He says he's originally from there. Uh, let's see. The four, yeah, you, you nailed it. I didn't know you were such an area code expert. <laughs> I'm going to just start throwing out random area codes. And see I work the phones a lot, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> So Tony in Los Angeles, originally from the Toledo area, apparently, says, hey, Mary Kay, aside from Greg Newsom and Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, the rookies this year played sporadically and seemed to all have good and bad moments throughout the year. Who amongst them, excluding Newsom and JOK, do you see as potential longtime contributors or even starters in years to come? That's a good question. Um, we've had our debates about Anthony Schwartz on this, on this pod. Um, and I think Anthony Schwartz has some good potential. I think that, uh, he's one of those guys that just, he needs to continue to work at it. He needs to continue to grow and develop and work on his hands. And once he does that, I think he can be a, a decent complimentary piece on your offense. So I think he's going to be good for years to come. Tommy Togiai, I've been liking what I see from Tommy Togiai. I think he has an opportunity uh, to step in there next season, maybe even earn a starting job and be a pretty decent defensive tackle. And I, I think that, you know, that they probably hope that that happens. Um, in terms of James Hudson, uh, he got thrown into some tough situations this season and he has to keep working really hard in the off season to get better in every single aspect of his game, because as we've talked about before, we have no idea when Jack Conklin is coming back to this football team. Will it be in time for the start of the season? Will it be? Absolutely not. Will it be in December? We don't know that yet. So, um, so James Hudson has to grow up in a hurry and be able to fill in at a, at a tackle spot. So um, yeah, I mean, I think he, I mean, we don't know how he's going to be yet, but the vibe is that they hope that he can turn into a starting tackle and be a good one for years to come. We don't know if it's, it's truth yet or not. Um, Tony Fields, he was injured so much this season. He was either injured or he had COVID and we just really didn't see much of linebacker Tony Fields. The few times I've watched him practice. Yeah. I watched him practice, a, you know, a fair amount and uh, he has all the physical skills. He's almost a little bit like, he's like a Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. You know, he's in that mold and I think he has very interesting potential, but he was set back by injuries this year. Let's see what he can do next year. I think, I think, I think he can be decent. And then there's, um, I think the other guy that's intriguing is Demetrius Felton. I'm not sure. He's a little bit like Schwartz to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I, just, I don't know exactly what he is long-term, but yeah. He's got some things that are intriguing. Yes. Um, and we saw him score a touchdown on Sunday. There, there's some, there's something there. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's going to lead to a guy that's going to, you know, I, I think they're still even trying to figure out exactly what he is position wise. I think he was mostly a receiver this year is based on who yeah. he practiced with and where he stood on the sidelines during games. So I think they're still kind of trying to figure out what he is, but the, it feels like there's something there that you can develop. Yeah. And, and now that they, you know, they've got some film on him, they can see what he can do. Uh, they can sort of hone in on the role a little bit more, uh, carve some things out for him. Uh, so, yeah, I think he does have potential to, uh, to be something he's versatile and he showed some flashes this year in both the run game and the pass game. So, um, you know, definitely someone worth investing more time and effort into. And uh, yeah, I mean, I can't say that, 
anybody out of out of the rookie class is just like we knew right away forget it this is not going to work out and it has been that way in the past with some players where you're just like they're not making it I don't feel like that with anybody in this class right and and look they're they're not all going to work out that's that's how that's how the draft goes right but the reality is it seems like you got two pretty good players with your first two picks and guys who are going to be starters and impact players, potential pro bowlers for you for a while. And then, you know, you have some sort of intriguing guys behind them. Richard LeCount's a guy too, that we don't really talk about because he didn't get much playing time. Right. What if he's a starter next year for some, like, you know, you might move on from Ronnie Harrison. So now maybe you've got John Johnson, Grant Delpit, and you know, you move Richard LeCount into that three safety mix a little bit. Yeah. He's, he's one of those guys that has all the physical tools and skills, and he's just very young and very raw and you just have to keep working with him and working with him. And, um, you know, sometimes we expect too much from, from the rookies right away. And what you really hope is that they take a very big leap in their second year. And so I think that Richard LeCount has the potential to do that because once again, He's got all the physical skills and uh, it'll be interesting to see. It's a, it's a pretty good position. The safety position is, is a strong one, uh, but there is room for him. And, and I think he, I think he can do it. Okay. Let's wrap up with this one because it was one of the kind of bigger stories of the day based off what we heard today from players on, on their kind of exit interview Monday, Justin in Boise, Idaho says, Hey, Mary Kay it seems like there is an undercurrent of player criticism of the medical training staff. Is this worse than any other years or other teams? Does the team need to address this? Could it keep free agents from signing here? And of course the, the root of all this, and Mary Kate, you have a story up at cleveland.com slash Browns. The root of all this is John Johnson uh, kind of said uh, of all the things he talked about in his exit meeting, he talked about maybe some things lacking uh, that are available to players Um, in the medical staff. And and he actually pointed out specifically maybe a yoga instructor Uh, and Kevin Stefanski later in the day said, of course, you know, there's protocols you can't have, you know, with COVID protocols, maybe you can't have as many people in the building as you want. But I guess what was your big takeaway from all of that today? Well, I will tell you this all season long. I felt the same way, not necessarily about the training staff per se, but I felt that there had to be something more that they could be doing to prevent these soft tissue injuries. They had too many hamstrings, groin injuries, and calf injuries. And I don't know, I don't know what it is, but they have to figure it out. And I think that John Johnson, the three is hitting the nail on the head with this issue. You've got to be able to do better with the soft tissue injuries. I don't know if it's a nutritional thing. I don't know if it's the yoga instructor. I don't know if it's different kind of stretching at one point I even thought is it some could it be the field you know is there something about the surface that they're running on that everybody's pulling hamstrings all the time I mean you know didn't we have guys like pulling it didn't like who who was it that like pulled a hamstring on Friday was that Greg Newsom uh Newsom no well maybe he did at one point Newsom got the concussion oh that was the concussion on a Friday Um, right Um, but there 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 were, were there was yeah, I can't remember. There was somebody. I don't think it was him, but yeah, there was somebody. No, it wasn't there. him. But there were there were guys that, you know, late in the week were, were pulling muscles and stuff like that, and then they're not available. So something, they have to do a deep dive on the soft tissue injuries. And I think he's hitting the nail on the head. And I don't think he meant, you know, I don't think he meant we have a bad relationship with the training staff. I think what he was saying is we need to collaborate. We need to work together. They need to communicate more with us. We need to communicate more with them. Let's try some yoga. Let's try some hand eye. Let's do this and that. As Kevin Stefanski pointed out and mentioned with COVID protocols, you can't just like let anybody walk in the door on any given day. So you have to be a little bit more creative and maybe things will be different with that next season. But I 100% agree with John Johnson three that they, they need an investigation <laughs> and they probably, I mean, they've got a great sports science staff. I mean, they, they are big into that kind of stuff with these sports analytics and sports science, but they need another pair of eyes on this somehow to look in and dig in and say, all right. And I, I would bring in an outside consultant. That's what I would do. I'd bring in an outside consultant and say, and to look at here is how we stretch. Here's how we do it. And here's how we whatever. And these things are down to, I've seen some of the, 
uh, detailed plans that they have for how, how much stretching and this, I mean, they're, they're already really deep into the weeds on this kind of thing, but it still needs an overhaul. You should not have this many soft tissue injuries. Yeah. When somebody like John Johnson says that you listen, because he's a guy that, you know, this isn't some rookie who's never talked to the media before and doesn't know what he's doing. I mean, this is a, this is a veteran. This is one of your leaders. This is a guy who, I mean, when the opportunity to talk about it came up, he seemed very interested in talking about it. Um, so, you know, you listen when a, when a guy says something like that. These guys know what they're doing. It, it's not just always canned answers or mistakes. Or These guys know what they're doing when they sit in front of those cameras and talk to us. Uh, and if they want to deliver a message, they know how to do that. So um, it's, yeah, it's tough. I, I mean, you, there's some injuries you just can't do anything about, right? It's football. It's a collision sport. But that soft tissue stuff, especially with all the data available to you, to you as a franchise and to the players and to the coaches, to the training staff, there's got to be a way to get to make that better. Yeah. I, again, I don't know what I talked to. Uh, um, I talked to a sports trainer late in the season, and his theory was that there is some kind of a stretching situation that that isn't going right, that they that they need to revise how they're doing their stretching. Uh, so I don't know. I was told when I bounced that off of somebody in the Browns organization, they were like, no, we've got that. We've got that down. But I think you have to be open-minded. I think you have to be open-minded enough to hear what somebody else is going to have to say. And so I, that's what I would do. I would bring in a few consultants from a few different places. Uh, maybe some of the, you know, look at all these training facilities that everybody goes to, XOs and all these places. I would probably... Uh, solicit the opinions of some outside folks on, on some of this, because you have to think outside of the box. Uh, but one of the reasons why you would listen to John Johnson, he's never had a losing season until this year. This was his first losing season. He went 11 and five in his rookie year, made the playoffs, went 13 and three in his second year, went to the Super Bowl. Nine and seven in 2019 with the Rams did not make the playoffs and then 10 and six in 2020 and made the playoffs. So he's never lost before. So that is why when he says something, you do listen. Yeah, and, and he's one of the leaders in, in that room um, and, and really on that defense. So a uh, very interesting day hearing from players talk about that. Uh, talk a little bit about the, let, let me just ask you real quick. What did you think when you heard players talking about needing to be a little more unified? You know, I guess I would say that I was a little surprised that they revealed that because, uh, you know, they were not admitting that during the season. Every single time we asked, uh, you know, are, are the offense and defense on the same page? All we, we heard the standard pat answers of, oh, yeah, as a defense, we just have to go out there. We have to do more. We have to score. You know, we've got when we get turnovers, we're the ones that have to score the football. And we got it. We just, you know, we you know, we have to do whatever it takes. Well, today really, I thought was the first time that, uh, and John Johnson three was one of the ones that sort of started to carry the banner on that a little bit today, where he said, you know, the offense is thinking about the offense and the defense is thinking about the defense and we need to mesh together better. And if he's saying it, I think people need to perk up and listen to that. And, and I even, like I asked Greg Newsom, would it behoove you guys to do some of those offensive defensive team building things in the offseason sometimes we see a passing camp or we'll see a defensive end camp you know maybe these guys need together and build some camaraderie because you know as well as I do when Odell Beckham Jr. left this team midway through, through the season uh, there were there were issues after that on this football team and there needed to almost be a, a healing and a re you know rebonding type of situation and I still think uh, that some of that might be necessary this offseason. Yeah, I thought it. I thought it was interesting that they were outspoken about it. I, I felt like, like I mean, there's teams that win that aren't like super. There's teams that win that don't necessarily like each other. That don't, you know, that have some of that division and, and stuff like that. I, I think you can do it, um, but I, I did find it interesting that they were very outspoken about it today and didn't, didn't shy away from answering questions about it. And to be fair, Kevin pointed this out, and I think it's important to note. 
again, it goes back to the COVID protocols. The locker, they don't, they aren't all in one locker room right now. They got two separate locker rooms. They have to have their weight room in the field house because of that. You know, towards the end of the year, they were limited with guys being able to eat together. A lot of that sort of organic team building stuff, even this year, when things were a little more open at the beginning of the year, it, there were still just a lot of restrictions and there were a lot of things that, that took away some of that organic team building that, that happens. Yes. And, and I can see that. And I agree with that, but I think that there was a telling quote from JJ three, who, by the way, is just golden whenever he speaks. <laughs> right. I mean, he, you know, he's, he's outspoken, he's smart. He tells it like it is. He's, he's a lot like miles Garrett in that way. They kind of speak their mind and they're willing to, uh, you know, to, dive into issues and they're not really afraid of the consequences of what they say. And, um, and I mean that in a good way, but, um, so he said, and he, and he wasn't super specific, but he said points after turnovers are mandatory. Okay. And now that could be the defense having to score the football, you know, I mean, recover the fumble and go score a touchdown or, you know, intercept the ball and, and return it. So he didn't say the offense, but I think it was sort of implied that it would be nice if we had some more offense to go along with our defense. I mean, it's just everybody else in the world can see it. So it would, they would not be human as defensive players if they didn't week after week after week um, get a little bit dismayed by the fact that the offense in 10 of its last 13 games before the finale had scored 17 points or fewer 10 of thir- 10 of their previous 13 games 17 points or fewer meanwhile the defense was only allowing 16 points in these games like nine of the last 12 games or something like that so and now it's 10 of the last whatever games the defense was allowing 16 points or fewer offense couldn't score there is no defensive guy in, in the NFL that wouldn't wish that an offense could kind of match their performance. Yeah, well, you know, what gets old if your Miles Garrett is standing at a podium after you intercept Lamar Jackson four times mm-hmm. and talking about a loss <laughs> yeah, and talking about what went wrong when you're probably sitting there thinking, well, we kind of did everything we were supposed to do and you have to kind of stand there and play nice. That, that gets pretty old. And you know, it's the other way, right? If you're an offense and you're scoring 40 points a game and the defense is giving up 42, you know, you you get tired of always having to answer to what went wrong when it wasn't your fault. Yes, absolutely. uh, 100%. And I wouldn't be surprised if some of those team leaders or those more veteran guys didn't express some of that frustration today. I mean, if they're given an opportunity to do that, I would think that some of them would have been honest and said, like, we all need to do better. But I, I don't think that comes as, as a surprise. Everybody knows that needs to happen. One other thing real quick to Dan about today, and that is, um, and I, again, this is Monday while we're taping. Um, I think we all wanted to hear from Jarvis Landry today. We all wanted to hear from Jarvis. We wanted to hear from Jarvis Landry for two months. <laughs> right. And we didn't hear from him today. And I I don't know what that means. I don't know if it means that he just doesn't, he's not ready to talk. If he is upset about things, he doesn't, I don't know. I mean, the only, the only time we've talked to Jarvis Landry since Odell left was when he did the Thanksgiving Turkey giveaway. And uh, I went to that. It was at at Parma high school. I think it was or Parma junior high school. Um, And he was very forthcoming and he was, more than happy to talk to us. And some people, you know, I, I've had some people say, why are you talking to football to him at a charity event? Well, they recognize, and that's why players invite us to come there. Because if they talk some football and don't just talk turkey, then then they get a football, they get a football story that talks about their charity. Right? You get to say Jarvis Landry gave a thousand turkeys away and he also wonders you know, we're, he's not sure why he's not getting the ball more, right? We're not going to write a headline that said Jarvis Landry gave a thousand turkeys away generally, right? I mean, we do a lot of that at cleveland.com. We cover every, almost every charity event they do on our social media and everywhere else. And we're really good about that. 
And I think everybody can agree with that. But those guys generally know that they can shine a light and draw attention to their charity by talking football. So if people don't understand that, that's how that works. And the players are cool with it. But we didn't get to hear from Jarvis today. And that's unfortunate. Well, the, the other side of that, too, is when you don't come out and talk for two months, guess what's going to happen when you hold a charity event where you talk? Like that's, that, that's, that's part of the deal. So you, know, you, right. you, do, you do have an obligation to come out and talk. And when you decide not to, uh, not to be held to that obligation, then sometimes you're going to get asked questions at events that maybe those questions don't always fit. Yeah. We all have jobs to do. Yeah. I don't know what that, I don't know what it means that because he was so nice and forthcoming at the charity yeah. event. I mean, he was just, well, he's, he's up until this point, he's always been. Yes. He's what? always been available, approachable, good answers, thoughtful, yes. you know, and I think that's why this is so strange because it's not the Jarvis that we've come to know since 2018. I know, especially the season wrap up day when it's like the last chance that you're going to have to, you know, to let fans know how you're thinking, or do you want to come back or, you know, how did everything go? And, you know, how do you feel about anything? I mean, these fans have a really close relationship with Jarvis Landry, right? I mean, he's meant a lot to this team and a lot to this community and fans want to hear from him. And that's another thing. Sometimes when people, you know, hear us say, well, Jarvis didn't talk to the media. It's not that our feelings are hurt that Jarvis didn't talk to us. It's that we want to be able to let people know how Jarvis feels. The fan want to let the readers and the fans know how does Jarvis feel about coming back, about Baker Mayfield, about Odell Beckham Jr., about the offense, about playoff, you know? Um, So I don't know. I don't know what it means. I don't know if um, it's, it's just bizarre because he's a great talker and it is also part of their obligation. Like you said, I mean, you know, they're supposed to be available to us too. And he's usually, usually uh, so great about that. So that was just one of those little unfortunate things about today. Okay. Well, there we go. Browns wrap up their season uh, on Monday uh, with their exit interviews, locker clean out all that good stuff. Uh, so that's what we talked about here. Now today, when you're hearing this, we're going to talk to Andrew Barry. So we'll circle back to that uh, on our Wednesday podcast. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Hey Mary Kay Orange and Brown Talk. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.